I do want to pray, though, for, for um, this message. Easter Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays, and what an amazing truth to be able to proclaim. And I know we have people here from all kinds of different backgrounds. Some of you know and love the Lord Jesus. Some of you are still learning. Some of you aren't so sure at all. Some of you are just here because somebody made you come. Maybe we don't know, okay? But we're glad you're all here. And what I want to pray is that wherever you are moving towards Christ, you'll be able to take another step ahead, another step closer to him because of what we talk about today. So let's pray and ask God to come and do that. We ask, Lord, for your power right now to be upon us. I need your help, Lord, in a big way. And help me to be in sync with the scriptures. Give me the right heart, Lord. Help me to be clear. And I pray that you would bring your power upon each one here right now and that you would reveal the truth of you, who you are in and through your word, that you would change hearts, that you would bring faith, that you would save people here in this room through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today's Easter Sunday. And what that means is, in fact, Brandon mentioned this, that today there are millions of people all around the globe that are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, just think about it. There's people in Tibet. There's people in Morocco. There's people in Brazil, Peru, Canada, Lithuania, right? Um, Ghana, Kenya, China. There's people all around the world. Millions and millions of people today are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the reason that millions of people are celebrating Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead is because he has solved our biggest problem. His resurrection has solved our biggest problem as human beings. And we face lots of problems. I mean, in the world today, there's sex trafficking, there's oppression, there's poverty, there's disease, there's orphans. There's terrible things in the world, but there's one problem that towers over every other problem we face. And each of us have a firsthand involvement in this problem. And Jesus Christ, by his resurrection, has solved the greatest of our problems. So what is the problem, and how did he solve it? To answer that, let's turn to the book of 1 Peter in our Bibles, chapter 1. And if you need a Bible... Raise your hand. We would like to bring one to you this morning so that you can look on as we study. We are passionately committed here at Mercy Hill Church to studying the scriptures. And so if you would raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. And First Peter, in the Bibles we're just passing out, is on page 1014. Page 1014, First Peter chapter 1. Now, here's some background on uh, this letter of First Peter. Peter wrote this around the year A.D. 65. And just some background about who Peter was. He was a fisherman who became a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he was an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry, which means that he saw Jesus take five loaves and two fish. He saw this with his own eyes and multiply five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000. He saw that. He saw Jesus walk up to a man whose eyes were completely blind and speak to the eyes, and they were healed completely. He saw and and probably tasted when Jesus turned 180 gallons of water into the best wine at a wedding. You know that story. 
And then he saw Jesus beaten and nailed to a cross. And he saw Jesus suffer. And he saw Jesus die. And then he met the risen Savior. He saw Jesus alive from the dead. He talked with him. He walked with him for 40 days. He experienced the living Jesus right in front of him, bodily, raised from the dead. And so Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he became a leader in the early church. And he wrote this letter, 1 Peter, to believers who were living in what today is Turkey. He wrote this letter to believers who were living in that area who were struggling, suffering, being persecuted. And look at what he says in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, I said earlier, Jesus' resurrection solves our greatest problem. So what is our greatest, biggest problem? Look at verse 3 again and see if you can see what I'm getting at here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts by praising God for what he's done. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's what God's done for us. God can cause us to be born again, so we have a living hope. That's something that God can do for you. Cause you to be born again, so you have a living hope, which means that if God doesn't do that, you don't have a living hope. The only way you can have a living hope is if God does something supernatural in you. Apart from God's work, apart from Jesus' resurrection, we don't have a living hope. Now, why not? What is a living hope? Why isn't our hope living? Let's just think a little bit about about what hope is. We all live by hope. Every human being lives by hope. If you just think about your heart, what gives your life meaning right now is the hope you have of something tomorrow or in the future. That's what's giving you your life meaning now. It's something tomorrow, something a year from now, something 10 years from now, maybe something as short-term as like your Easter lunch today you're really looking forward to, okay? Or maybe like the Giants' opening day tomorrow watching them beat the Dodgers, okay? Or maybe something more long-term like raising, you know, well, strong, adjusted, successful kids. Or maybe reaching a certain level of job, you know, career. Or maybe arriving at a certain net worth or retiring comfortably. But if you could look inside every single one of our hearts, in, in each of our hearts... There's something that we're hoping in. To get meaning now, we're hoping in something in the future. There's a problem. All those hopes I just mentioned are destroyed by the fact that we all face death. We all are going to die. And death destroys all those hopes I've just mentioned. 
So how did this happen? It's kind of a weird thing. Here we are, human beings. We live by hope. What gives us meaning now is our hope in the future. So we all live by hope. We're looking ahead to the future. That's true of all of us. And yet we all are going to die, which is going to kill all those hopes. So how did that come about? How did that happen? Now, how many of you watched the, the series, The Bible? Anybody watch that? Especially the first part, the story of Adam and Eve. Because what that story showed is exactly what the Bible, well, pretty close to what the Bible teaches, okay? Pretty close. Read the Bible. Uh, but what happened at the very, very beginning was that God created us. Think about this. He created us. He gave us life. Gave us this world to live in. And Adam and Eve and every one of us has refused to bend our knee before our creator. We've all refused to worship him as God, to trust him, to obey him. We've all refused to acknowledge God as our creator. And the result of that is that we have to die. See, God is is slow to anger, full of love and mercy, the Bible teaches. But the Bible also teaches that all of us have sinned against God so much that in his justice, God has to bring punishment. He has to bring his curse upon the world. And part of that curse is death. And so we all face death because of our sin. My sin, your sin. We all face death and, and God's judgment forever. So do you see the problem? We all live by hope. That is what gives your life meaning is something you're looking forward to in the future. So we all live by hope. But we're all going to die and death destroys those hopes. So we feel the pain of that. Now that's one of the reasons why poets and authors and philosophers and artists have have at various times spoken of how they long for freedom from death. Let me give you a couple of examples. The German playwright Goethe, here's what he said. He says, everlasting. For the end that is speaking of death, that would mean despair. No, no ends. No ends. So can you feel his, his hope crying out for there to be no death? Okay, that's Goethe. Then there's the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Some of you maybe have studied him back in your school days. He says, joy wants, that is, longs for eternity. Wants deep, deep eternity. So we have this longing in us. No death! No death! Because what gives us meaning is hoping in the future. And the prospect of death destroys that hope. One other example. The American rock group, Kansas, okay? Real philosophers, here we go. Very powerful song. They sing, now don't hang on. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. It slips away and all your money won't another minute buy. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. So can you feel that the hopelessness of that, the longing for there to be a future? So this is our biggest problem. This is 
it. We all are going to die because of our sin. We're going to face God's judgment. And that reality of death and God's judgment destroys our hope. Now you might be thinking, I definitely came to the wrong church this morning. (laughs) Easter, hello, you know, bunnies, spring, flowers, happiness. The Bible deals with reality. And we're not going to be shallow. The Bible is not ever shallow. The Bible goes to the deepest needs of our hearts. Because God loves us too much to just play games in some kind of a shallow way. Our biggest problem is that we're facing God's judgment and death. It's our biggest problem. And I've got amazing news for you. God does something about this. What does God do? Read verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now notice that phrase, according to his great mercy. All of us rightly face God's judgment and death, but God has mercy. Actually, no. Did you read that carefully? Not just mercy. According to his what? His great mercy. Think of it. The God who created everything, the God who is there, who we all have to deal with, he is a God of great mercy. He loves mercy. He's overflowing with compassion. The God who's created everything loves to do wonderful good for undeserving people. That's what mercy is. And so what does God do in his great mercy? He causes us, verse 3 says, to be born again to a living hope. Now what's a living hope? A living hope is one that death can't destroy. A living one is, a living hope is one that goes through death and emerges the other side. A living hope is a hope that conquers death, that overcomes death. And God can cause us to be born again to a living hope. So what is this living hope? What is it? Gives us some clues in verses 4 and 5. It says we're born again, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You know about perishable food? Anybody left something in your refrigerator too long? You will discover what perishable means, okay? This inheritance is imperishable. It will never, never be gone, okay? Never become like a yucky, rotten peach, okay? It'll never do that. It's undefiled. It is unfading. It'll never be boring. It's always going to be new and alive and wonderful and whoa. That's the inheritance. And it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So this living hope involves an inheritance, like no earthly inheritance, okay? Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven, ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, this inheritance will last forever. Death can't destroy it. When you put your hope in this, it's not a dead hope. 
Death can't touch it. When you put your hope in this living hope, it gives your life meaning now that will never be taken away. Okay, but still, what is it? Inheritance, these are metaphors. What is it? What is it? I kept reading, and I found a very powerful description in verse 13. Look at what Peter says. Chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope, here we go, the word hope, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the hope that will conquer death, the hope that will be there after death, is the truth of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it's the fact that at the end of history, Jesus Christ will be revealed to you. And because you're trusting Jesus Christ and forgiven for all your sins through trusting him, when you see him, that will be grace. It'll be great grace. Great joy in seeing him. Great pleasure in beholding him. See, the purpose of everything in the universe, the Bible teaches here and in numerous other passages, the purpose of creation, the purpose for world history, the purpose for everything is to show God's greatness. And God has displayed his greatness most clearly through Jesus Christ, his son, fully God, fully man, come to earth, living, died, resurrected, the glory, the mercy, the beauty, the power of that, displaying God's greatness. That's God's purpose for everything. And so because you're trusting Jesus Christ, because you've been forgiven by faith in him, when you see Jesus Christ, there will be grace. Now, I just want to just kind of imagine what this is going to be like. Think about what it would be like for you to see Jesus Christ. Think about what what it would be to see Jesus who has so much love, so much love, He'd be willing to, even though he was fully God, become a man, lowering all the way down to becoming a man so that he could save us. Think of seeing Jesus who has that much love for us. Think of what it would mean to see Jesus who has so much power that when he met a man who was completely paralyzed, a quadriplegic, he simply spoke, rise and walk. And the man instantly was healed by Jesus' power and rose and walked. So imagine seeing a being, Jesus, who has that power, seeing him before your eyes. Power. Imagine seeing Jesus, who has complete authority over everything in the universe, which he illustrated. Remember the story when he's in the boat with the disciples, gale force winds, crashing waves, boat getting swamped, disciples are freaking out, even though they're weather-hardened, tough fishermen, they're like, yeah, this is very, very bad. And Jesus just says, peace, be still. Instant calm. Barely a ripple. Birds are flying, right? Sun's out. So imagine seeing a being who has that kind of authority, created the universe, calms a storm. I love the story. Think about seeing Jesus who has such compassion. One day he saw a widow whose only son had just died, leaving her alone. And Luke tells us he felt compassion for her. And what did he do? He raised her son from the dead. 
So think of Jesus here, this combination of compassion and power. Do you see this being, how he loves, how he cares, just overflowing with goodness for us? And then one other illustration. Think of Jesus, whose mercy and compassion for us and love for us moved him to die on the cross. His love for us. He nailed his hands. He watched it. He could have called a legion of angels down and he would have been gone. He could have instantly been out of there for love's sake. For love's sake. Feet nailed to the cross. Hours of not just the physical agony, which is un unimaginably horrible, but God's wrath for our sin being poured out upon him. He chose to be punished in our place so we could be forgiven. So think of seeing a being who's perfectly loving, flawlessly good, majestic, noble, royal. Jesus Christ is the infinitely most valuable, supremely glorious being in the entire universe. And because you're trusting him, when you see him, there's going to be grace brought to you. Grace, great grace, great joy, great glory. Try to think of an illustration. See how this one works. Imagine that you're, you, you uh, have lived in Yosemite all your life. Any, any Yosemite fans here? Okay, I'm a total Yosemite fan. Not as much as Brandon, but, but, but close. Okay, all right. Imagine that you have lived in Yosemite all your life, but sadly it has always been socked in with fog. So all you've seen is just you wake up in this gray, cold fog. Wake up day after day, gray, cold fog. Week after week, month after month, year after year, gray, cold fog. So, so think of how amazing it would be if one day God had a wind blow all that fog out of the valley. And for the first time, you're like, whoa! Half Dome, Cathedral Rock, Vernal Falls, El Capitan. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? At the end of history, God's going to blow away the fog of the world. And because you're trusting Jesus Christ, you will see the glory of the universe before your own eyes. And it will be a great grace to you. Fix your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's our living hope. That's the point of the whole universe. That's why God has done what he's done in creating us, in saving us, to give us the joy of beholding his glory, his greatness in Christ forever. And that's a living hope because death can't destroy it. It's a living hope. It's an inheritance that will last forever. Now, how can God do that for us? We've sinned against him. He's just, right? We deserve to die. We deserve his judgment forever. So if we face death and judgment, how can God give us living hope? And look at verse 3 again. We'll see how he can do that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If we face death and judgment, how can God give us this living hope? 
And the only way he can do this is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the only way. See, here's why. If we're going to have this living hope, our guilt needs to be paid for by another, by someone else. Our guilt needs to be paid for by another. And death's power has to be paid for by another. Our guilt has to be paid for by another so we no longer face God's judgment. And death's power has to be paid for by another since we've been under the curse of death. So here's what happened. In great love, Jesus Christ, who had been fully God, continued to be fully God, but he he became man. He took on human nature and he took on a human body precisely so he could be punished on the cross, feel the pain of that, and so he could die. He became a man, took on a human body. And he lived a perfectly sinless life, the whole life. Perfectly sinless. And he told us that at the end he was going to be betrayed, he'd be crucified, and then he would rise from the dead. He said, I'm going to be crucified to pay for sin, but I will be raised from the dead. This is what Jesus said, and then just as Jesus said, he was scourged and he was beaten and he was crucified on the cross and he died. Jesus died. He was buried in the tomb, dead. So the question was, would he rise from the dead? We needed someone who would pay for our guilt, someone else, another who would pay for our guilt. We needed someone who would break death's power. We needed someone else who could do that. Would he rise from the dead? See, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that means that what he taught about his, his death paying for our sin is not true, because he also said he would rise from the dead, so that means this isn't true. And if he didn't rise from the dead, that would show that he didn't break the power of death, which shows that we're still facing death in God's judgment. So everything is hanging on the resurrection. That's why the resurrection is so crucial, because everything hinges on the resurrection. So what happened? Sunday morning. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, conquering death, having paid for our sins. He rose from the dead. The tomb was empty. He said to Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side, Thomas. You're struggling to believe this? I get that. Touch me. Thomas touched him. He walked with disciples along roads. He made the broiled barbecue fish for them to eat. He, for 40 days, he said, it's me, I'm here, I'm alive. He rose from the dead. Showing that all of our guilt has been paid for. Oh, this is amazing news. All of your guilt can be paid for through Jesus Christ. All of your guilt, all your past guilt, present guilt, future guilt before God, paid for. All of your guilts can be paid for and showing that death's power has been broken. So death does not need to mean the end moving you to God's judgment. It moves you to eternal life in the presence of God forever, beholding his son, Jesus. That's how God can give us living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So how do we get in on that? Read verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we get in on this by being born again. Born again. Now, what does that mean? Very strange statement. Been born once. Why do I need to be born again? Here's why. Remember, we've all refused to bend our knee before God. We've all turned our backs on him and and chosen to live our own lives. That's what the Bible calls sin. And sin kills our capacity to trust God. It kills our love for God. It kills any capacity to, to know God, to want to be in his presence. Sin kills spiritual life, just like the bubonic plague kills physical life. Okay, Sin kills spiritual life. That's our problem. So if there's going to be any spiritual life in us, God has to birth it in us. Birth it in us. Create it anew in us. And that's exactly what God does. Now, see, this is the best news in the world because I would guess that, that, that many of you are thinking right now, um, I don't have any faith in Jesus Christ. I don't have any love for God. I don't really have any spiritual interest whatsoever. Here's why this is good news. Because that's been true for all of us in this room. Sin kills spiritual life. Sin destroys any love for God, trust in Jesus Christ, any of that. Sin kills it, which is why we need to be born again, because God can bring his power upon you and birth brand new life. Picture like this. Picture your spiritual life like a heart inside of you, lub-dub, lub-dub. Sin kills it. Okay? Flatline. Nothing. Okay? No faith in Jesus Christ. No interest in God. No love for God, nothing, just flatline. That's how we all were. The Bible says we were dead in sin. But because of what Jesus Christ has done in paying for sin on the cross, God can reach down from heaven with his power, and he can create a brand new heart in you, brand new trust in Jesus Christ, brand new love for God, brand new longing to know him. Lub-dub, lub-dub, lub-dub. It starts again. It was flatline, dead, New heart birthed, new heart created, born again. That's what he can do. So one last question then. How can I be born again to this living hope? How do I experience this? And it's not by trying to be good. Okay, that's man-made religion. It's not at all what the Bible teaches. Trying to be good, going to church, trying to be a better person, that can't change your heart. That won't birth new spiritual life in you. Won't happen. That's not how to do it. So what can you do? Here's what Jesus called people to do. He used two words. He said, said, repent and believe. And here's what I want to do. I've, I've kind of broken that down into kind of six parts. They're right there in your notes. Um, We'll get them up here on the screen. They're up on the screen. And here's what I want us to do right now. I just want us to pray right now. And if you are asking God to save you this morning, you're seeing, I understand about this issue of dead hope. To find meaning, we all look ahead to the future. We all hope in the future. I understand that death and God's judgment kills my hope, so I don't have living hope. I understand that God has had great mercy 
great love, great compassion, and he sent Jesus who has great love and great compassion for us, and Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin so we can be forgiven and changed and that God can bring his power upon us and change our hearts, cause us to be born again, put faith in you, put love for God, put trust in Jesus Christ in your heart. God can do that. And the moment that that happens, you're forgiven for all your sins. The moment that happens, Guilt lifts off of you. God's forgiving love comes upon you. The moment that happens, you know that you have eternal life. The moment that happens, you are filled with living hope for the first time that death can't touch. That's what can happen. And I want to call you to do this right now. Cry out to Jesus Christ right now to save you. Call upon Jesus Christ right now to strengthen your faith, to birth new life in you. So let's pray, and I want to kind of walk us through this. So let's all just bow our heads. Now, those of you who've already been trusting Jesus Christ, these these steps are good for all of us to take again. You've already been born again, but just go ahead and pray these two, because they will strengthen you, they will nurture your living hope. But I want to talk specifically to those of you who have not been born again. You you don't know what it is to, to trust Jesus and to have your guilt lift off of you and to have God's forgiving love come. You don't know what it is to have your heart filled with the overflowing joy of knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that that's a living hope that will be yours forever. So let me urge you to take these steps. Turn to Jesus Christ just as you are. Start there. Just as you are. Feeling nothing? feeling far from God, turn to him just as you are. The beauty of Jesus is that we don't need to bring anything good to the table. Truth is, we have nothing good to bring with us. We just come as we are. So turn to Jesus just as you are. Start there right now. Just come as you are. Turn your heart towards him. He's here. He's alive. He sees you. He's responding to you. Come to him just as you are. Go ahead and do that right now. And then admits that you have sinned and that you deserve God's judgment. Admit it to him. Confess your sin to him. You've sinned and you face God's judgment. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I have turned my back on you. I've turned your back, my back on God the Father. I've lived my own way. I've been independent of you. I haven't acknowledged you as God. I haven't thanked you for the gift of life. I haven't trusted you. I haven't obeyed you. I confess to you that I've sinned and I deserve God's judgment. So just humbly confess that to him. Go ahead and do that in your heart right now. Confess that to him. He hears every word. He's here. And he's responding to you. And then thank Jesus for dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Thank him. Thank him for paying for sin's guilt. Thank him for being willing to be punished in your place.
thank him for rising from the dead. Proving that everything he taught was true and showing that he had conquered death. Thank him for dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Thank him. And then tell Jesus that you want to turn from sin. You want to change. You need his power, but you want you want his power. You want to turn from sin. Tell him that. And you want to trust him. You want to love him. You want to worship him. Tell him this is what you want. Tell him. You want this. And ask him. Ask him to save you. Save me, Jesus. Ask him to strengthen your faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me. Ask him to forgive you for your sins. Ask him to do that. Save you. Strengthen you. Forgive you. And then look to him and trust him. Trust him. You have every reason to trust him. Every reason to trust him. All the historical evidence confirms Jesus' life, death, resurrection. All the eyewitness testimony. And you see his love for you. He loves you. He loves you. He cares about you. So look to him and trust him right now. Rely on him. Depend upon him. Just look to him. Don't look at yourself. Look look to him. Look to him and trust him. Trust his death. Trust his resurrection. Trust his love. Trust his promises. You'll feel a new heart being birthed in you. You will feel the guilt of sin lifting off of you. You'll feel the forgiving love of God pouring into you. You'll feel your heart filled with living hope as you behold him and experience his love and his nearness. So God, I pray for your power to be upon us here. I pray for those, first of all, who have been trusting you already. And I pray that we would obey what Peter said in verse 13, that we would hope fully in the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that we would set our hopes fully on your return, on standing before you face to face, seeing you, where you wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. I pray for those who are already trusting you that we could set our hope fully on seeing you face to face. And I pray for those who walked in this morning not not trusting you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would birth new life in them as they call upon you, as they look to you, as they trust you, Lord. Save them, I pray for the glory of your name. Thank you for your great mercy. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing love for us. Thank you for paying for our sins and for dying on the cross. And that we have a hope that death can't touch. We have living hope. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.